Coming up next, if last week's episode left you scratching your head, this week we have some answers. If you'd like to support this work, go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. You can sign up for the price of a cup of coffee a month, and that would be a great help to us. We appreciate it very much. And now on with the show. You are now listening to the sound of sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. My name is Nathan Ambers and I'm your humble and obedient host. We're back. Let me introduce you to our fine crew of panelists. We've got Benjamin Solzer, associate producer Benjamin J. Solzer over there. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing fine, Nathan. I'm glad to hear it, sir. And of course, Pastor Jacob Mensel. How you doing, Jake? A little under the weather, but otherwise pretty good. Yeah, I'm also a little under the weather, Ben. Well, me too. You're Three for three, baby. Three for three. Guys, we are doing a follow-up episode to last week's episode, which was entitled Into the Manosphere. Ben, would you like to summarize that episode? We wanted to give our listeners a rundown of the Manosphere, since I had started reading, well, one voice in the Manosphere, who happened to be uh, the best representative of the Christian Manosphere that any of us knows of. I just think it's an interesting place. It's interesting to see how men have begun to react to the feminism of our culture, what they say, and what a Christian guy who's kind of part of a broader reaction against feminism says. Anyway, we tried to give our listeners an overview of things. And then we honed in on the specific guy we interviewed, a man named Daurak. He's actually not named Daurak. That's pseudonym. And we took apart his arguments since he's critical of our pastor. That is a thing that happened, Jake. True or false? More or less true, yeah. Yeah, more or less true. It's kind of a hard episode to describe. It was a hard episode to do. We spent a lot of time putting it together. And I think probably it's good to say off the bat, the episode ended up being a little dense and maybe a little, not not dense in the sense of stupid, but dense in the sense of packed with a lot lot of of information without a really clear through line for people who maybe weren't as familiar with the format of our show. The format of the show. It's our first one back after a little hiatus. Or people maybe just not familiar with the manosphere or more familiar particularly with the philosophy of one Dalrock. So I apologize if anybody lost their way in that episode. I could see how that could have happened. This week, we're going to come back and hopefully give you a few footholds to think about this a little bit further. Let's start with a story of a little bit broader, the story of what happened last week and why. We were going to do an episode on the manosphere. That was our intention, right? That's right. We wanted to do an episode on the manosphere and everything that entails. So these terms that you see and that you heard us throw around last week. Red pill, MGTOW, MRM, MRA, whatever it is, men's rights movement. movement. Yeah, MRM. Yeah, game. All, All that wonderful stuff. And we didn't want to be the ones defining our own terms. And so we decided the best thing to do would be to interview somebody who's representative of the manosphere and somebody preferably who's a Christian and one of the best and most reasonable voices in the manosphere. So we reached out to a pseudonymous blogger who goes by the handle of Dalrock. He writes on Christian manhood, sexuality, that sort of thing. That sort of thing. 
Ben, was you were familiar with his work. I think you were the one that first brought him to me and Jake's attention. I was, and I appreciated the way he took certain things apart, like that book, Every Man's Marriage, which is really gross. And I think maybe that was the first time I had heard of Dal Rock was from you positively praising that book, or not the book, but his takedown of the praising book. Praising his takedown of the book, yes. Right, and, and Dal Rock can be fun to read and insightful when he's eviscerating a target that deserves it. More about that in a minute. Yeah. Um, if you listen to last week's episode, you know we don't, I guess it's worth saying, we don't like Dal Rock. We don't support Dal Rock. We don't think people should read Dal Rock. But just to get the story done, because we wanted to just kind of get an overview of the manosphere, of what was going on there, I sent an email to Dal Rock. I got a hold of him. He responded with an email directly to me, and then I emailed him. And I'm going to go ahead and read this email because... It's been the subject of some controversy and some confusion. As, as, I'm just going to read this entire email. Hi, this is an email to Dalrock from me, Nathan Alberson. Hi, quote, hi, we're putting together an episode of our podcast, Sound of Sanity, on Red Pill, Game, MGTOW, all that good stuff. I wanted to see if you would consent to a phone interview sometime in the near future. I'd like to get as clear an articulation of your views as I can and present it to the world. The questions would be quite simple. I prefer simple questions that allow for more elaborate answers as needed. And then I listed seven questions. These are the same questions that you can actually see if you read the transcript of our email exchange. Who are you? What are the problems facing men today? Basic questions about who he was, what he was doing, how his work interacted with the Manosphere, and what the Manosphere was, which was what the episode was going to be about. Yeah, what we were going to be able to do with that, hopefully, would be to have a couple of audio clips for you guys of someone in the Manosphere saying, this is what it is, this is what Red Pill is, this is what MGTOW is, this is who I am, this is what I'm concerned about, this is why I do what I do, and then be able to go with that, build off of that, into explaining to you something of this world. Uh, So just to finish the email, I said, after I listed those questions, I said, full disclosure, as you probably know, we don't agree on everything. If I'm not mistaken, which given where we've landed on Dalrock now, it might sound like I'm being a little soft on him, but I actually didn't know him that well at the time. And so I was really just wanting to understand his point of views, but I did know that he'd said some negative things about my pastor. So here I say, quote, if I'm not mistaken, you see the work of my pastor and others like him as somehow undercutting the concept of female moral agency. I see your work as needlessly undercutting male responsibility in the name of establishing female moral agency. The podcast may ultimately reflect these differences, but I'd like to give you a fair chance to say your piece. This won't be gotcha journalism. Actually, in that spirit, I'll warn you about the potential gotchas right now. I would like to press you a bit on the misogynist that work like yours seems to attract. I've seen more than one commenter in your archives say that a woman needs a good old-fashioned spanking. I see in your comments policy you ask people to refrain from discussing marital corporal punishment. Seems to me that if you have to ask people to refrain from that topic, you may be attracting the wrong sort of people. I'd like to ask you frankly about that and let you answer however you choose. I hope that sounds amenable to you. Thanks, Nathan. You could, if you pull that quote out of context, I want to present your views to the world, you could get the idea that we want to do a whole episode on Dalrock and on promoting his views and giving him a chance to speak and use our platform to promote his views. But that's not what the podcast was ever supposed to be about. It was clear from the beginning. And when Nathan said, I want to present your views to the world, he was talking about his simple perspective on these definitions, what he's doing and why he's doing it in the manosphere at large. He's presented it as if I came along and said to him, uh, Mr. Dalrock, I'd like to give you a platform to expound your entire philosophy and to have a long form debate 
with me and my crowd about that. I never said that. No, or it was an that. interview, and it was simply a a way for us to have a credible entry point into dealing with the manosphere and what it represents. Right. But the point is, it was clearly an interview, mm-hmm. and it was meant to be an interview from the top. And why Dalrock again? Because he seemed to us to be the best, maybe not the best representative of the whole of the manosphere, but maybe the most Christian, the one that Christian men would be most likely to be attracted to and, and even helped by. Yeah, the one that they'd have the best reason to read. I mean the voice that would be most useful. Now, I, I, I do want to say, though, before we move forward, just so everything's out on the table in terms of what was and wasn't said, I did agree that he could post these things, post our exchange on his blog if he thought it would be helpful. In the back of my mind, I kind of thought, well, it's going to be pretty simple, like simpler maybe than... Yeah, I yeah I saw that, ex- that email and I thought, well, okay, he's going to put up one post and it's going to be him defining red pill and McDowell for... Right. His maybe maybe he, if as long as he's defining these terms, maybe he wants to use them as a primer. As long as he's giving a solid defense yeah. of his views on marital corporal punishment, for example, it might be nice for him to just make that into one post, uh-huh. um, which is fine, you know, which I said was fine. I did also offer at a certain point to provide written material, you know, if, if he needed a more clear articulation of our point of view in order to engage with it. But we never went into this thinking it was going to be a debate or going to be a chance for him to have a full platform. Yeah, but then once we got into the email exchange, for one, and saw how he was running with the questions and using them as jumping off points for him talking about his hobby horses. So then we have all these big, long responses to deal with. And then we look at start looking more deeply into what he actually says. Mm-hmm. And it's just deception and lies all through it. Right. Just complete dishonesty. Mm -hmm. And the way that he hijacks and diverts things, Nathan says, I think that rebellious women should be rebuked and called to repentance. And he says, no, you don't. You're pastor. Now I'm going to talk about women in the military in a PCA report from 2002 for, you know, three pages. Yeah, he really... Of email exchange. And and in that, I'm going to lie about your pastor and about other people. And it's like, what? Come on, man. You can't accept that we think that rebellious women should be called to repentance. Your response to that is to then lie about our pastor and to do it publicly as if we now have an obligation to deal with all of this garbage that you're putting out there. It's like, that was never the intention. It was clear from the beginning and so, okay, now we have a decision to make. Has this gotten out of hand? Do we need to deal with Dalrock or do we need to ignore it? And we decided to lean in and just go ahead and deal with Dalrock and his dishonesty. And we had this 17-page transcript, 17 single-space page transcript of our email exchange to deal with, which is what we, we basically last episode, just to understand what was going on in our minds, if it was a little unclear for you to follow it, dear listener, we decided to do some skits and stuff like we normally do, do the devil's Open advocate Open up segment. the question of the manosphere uh-huh. and some of the people in it. And there's no question that some of the things that we did, like we're, we were talking about, were manosphere stuff. These are all like that conference that we were talking about, the 21, whatever it's called. These are the guys. Like right. Rolo Tomasi is the guy and he's kind of a father of the whole thing. And he has Dalrock on his blog roll and blo- Dalrock has him on his blog roll. And mm-hmm. yet these are the guys. This is what they represent. And they have these conferences and they promote BDSM and all kinds of stuff like that. And they talk about wife spanking and that all this stuff you can find in the manosphere. You can also find people who, you know, disclaimer, you can find people that don't like BDSM. You can find people that don't like wife spanking. You can find 
all kinds of things in the manosphere. It's a broad, broad movement, which is why we, you know, we talked about the men's rights movement versus the MGTOWs, right? Right. So just from our point of view, if you understand what was happening last episode, just imagine we barrel through talking about the manosphere, trying to give people some footholds to even understand understand any of this. And then we have the 17-page thing from Dal Rock, which he's already published on his blog that we have to deal with. So we attempted to deal with, I think we could have been more clear. I think we should have been more clear. And should have been more clear as far as what we were doing last episode. And why. And why. So that's what we're doing now. Let's just make sure everybody's on the same page. Ben, explain everything that that we just talked about. In the simplest terms possible. In the simplest terms possible. We wanted to do an episode on the manosphere and... We wanted the help of someone in the manosphere that we thought could give us clear definitions and would be worth quoting and worth, in some measure, I suppose, referring people to. Or engaging with, at the very least. Engaging with as an authority on certain definitions and questions. In other words, you've got Rolo Tomasi, who's a pickup artist. You've got Texas Dom, who's, you know, Texas Dom, BDS. You've got people that, as Christians in good conscience, we cannot engage with. And then you have Dalrock, who does at least present himself as the most reasonable biblical voice that we're aware of in the movement. Yep. Yep. And he's been called by other Christians in his comment section like a kind of founding father of the Christian men's sphere, mm-hmm. Christian yep. manosphere. Well, and the thing about people who are, look, I'm not sure what other word to use. The thing about people who are slimy is that they don't actually come like Uriah Heep wringing their hands and cackling and being nasty. They present themselves as reasonable. And if they're good at it... On the surface. You know, someone who's duplicitous isn't someone who says, hey, I've got something to tell you. That's, That's someone who's bad at being duplicitous because they sound like they're being duplicitous. Somebody that is good at being duplicitous is somebody that seems normal, stable, reasonable, which is how Dalrock presents himself. Yeah, and listeners have said in various places to us, hey, I used to think Dalrock was great until I saw what he said about Doug Wilson and reforming marriage. And I thought, wait, I've read that book. I love that book. I know that book. I was helped by that book. What he says about Doug Wilson and reforming marriage is not at all what Doug Wilson and reforming marriage say. And one listener in particular was saying was, look, I was prepared to believe all his criticisms of the evangelicals I already didn't like that I was prejudiced against. Then he picked on Doug in a way that I knew was wrong and realized suddenly, wait, I can't trust this guy to be honest. A lot of people have had or been having that experience. We've discussed, we even in our last episode said, you know, okay, he may be right about Chandler, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And we're not going to even bother looking because he probably is right about Chandler. Yeah, I bothered looking for yeah. whatever reason. Followed the link. <laughs> yeah, after you said nothing could compel you. <laughs> nothing could compel me. Well, point, one point for Dalrock. You compelled me, sir. Yeah, I actually I actually went to uh, Chandler's sermon. Let me just read a quote. This is from the Matt Chandler sermon. Quote, you see women with their words brutalizing each other, emasculating men, gossiping, slandering. Even the Bible will say this is a real issue specifically for how women brutalize men with their words. Men can intimidate and use size. Women will most often use their words. And then he quotes the scripture, wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. He says, waterboarding. You live with a quarrelsome wife. You might as well put a sheet over your face and then just pour water on you forever. Yeah. Matt Chandler doesn't believe that women sin. Women sin. Have moral agency. Or have moral agency. It's only about like if their husband's in the very sermon that Dalrock quotes. Right. Right? (laughs) 
It's just like, come on, guys. You, well, let's let's be charitable to Darok. Maybe he's not. What's you know? I as I'm as I'm listening to this stuff, I wonder what's what's the most gracious we can be to Darok. Darok, maybe you're not being deceptive in an intentional sense, but guess what? We deceive ourselves, and it looks like you've definitely deceived yourself. You've become willfully obtuse. Like you are yeah. unable to read. I mean, this is gonna sound edgy. I don't actually mean for it to be. I think the most charitable reading is that he's stupid yeah honestly no that's the i mean if he just if he just doesn't know how to read either is masterfully deceptive or he's dumb and those are your two options and if he were to just respond and say okay you made a point and i'm dumb then all could be well and good in the world or we could be moved towards (laughs) something but there's got to be some more gracious construction like here let's try this his bitterness at christian leaders failures has made him stupid. So it's not a comment on your natural intelligence, Darak. It's about how your bitterness leads you to be unable to read at this point in time. And if you repented of your bitterness, you could become able to read again and maybe even useful. And maybe even useful to the church. And I consider myself qualified to speak on this point since I know what it is to be bitter and unable to deal with someone's words fairly. I know that for myself. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I'm spouting off about what I don't know. Well, the weird thing about this whole thing is that I've wanted to believe him. You know, when somebody says, like, I'm trying to be reasonable, you want to believe that they're trying to be reasonable. Even if they're not doing a good job, you want to believe that's what they want. And so when Dalrock turned around, published several private emails that I had sent him, emails that he actually calls, quote unquote, private emails, and was just very spiteful in saying, I didn't listen to the podcast, but obviously Warhorn Media is incapable of logic, obviously blah, blah, blah. When he just got nastier with us than I've actually seen him get nasty with anyone, maybe, I was a little surprised. Well, isn't that isn't that one of the chief things going on here is his supreme belief in his own reasonableness? Isn't that what comes out? It's interesting to contemplate the idea of he hasn't listened to our podcasts. Mm-hmm. If somebody published something like that about me, and then sent me an email like I sent him saying, this is brutal and you need to repent and we talk about how you need to repent. I think I'd want to listen to the podcast. What kind of a man doesn't listen to that podcast? Even if he, even if he just I, thinks it's a nasty kind of man doesn't want to. I'll tell you what kind of man. Uh, a man who doesn't, who doesn't want to face up to the possibility that he's wrong, who doesn't want to think about the possibility that he's wrong, mm-hmm. who wants to prostrate himself to his followers as being above that sort of thing. Right. And so, you know what? Criticism hurts and it cuts, especially if it's on the mark. Well, we'll get back to Dalrock, but I want to talk maybe bigger picture here. Uh, Another reason that we actually dealt with this stuff in the first place, that we wanted to talk about the manosphere, that we wanted to ask questions of Dalrock was what, Jake? Well, it's just increasingly attractive to men in our church who have been hurt by their mothers, by their wives or ex-wives, and who are very tempted to go down the rabbit hole into bitterness. And the kids that are affected by this sort of thing. So I meet every week with a couple of boys whose mom left Mm -hmm. and is strung out on drugs. Dad has custody and they have a stepmom. They're tempted to be bitter and angry with God, with their mom, with everything. And I and this is something I'm always working with them and talking to them about, helping them try to acknowledge the sinfulness of their mom and also to understand the forgiveness of God, to deal with their anger and their bitterness in a way that's healthy, right? This is like what we talk about every week. I talk all the time with a man who's going through a nasty divorce right now, whose wife up and left and took the kids. 
And the thing is, when you get into these situations, it's not clear and clean. You don't get to say man, wo- man good, woman bad, or woman good, man bad when you're dealing with actual real people because it's complicated and the responsibility is carried differently. Is a man responsible for his house and what happens in his house and outside of his house? Yes, he is. Is a woman who leaves her husband or who commits adultery or who gives herself over to drugs, is she responsible before God for her personal behavior? Yeah, she is. And she's responsible for the consequences. And those consequences have far-reaching implications, not just to her husband and not just to her kids, but to everybody that she comes into contact with. And we deal with it exactly the kind of pastor that... Dalrock is going to be critical of. The pastor that, that takes in the woman who has ran off, who has sinned against her house and her husband, and says, you know, it's the man's job to love her back and win her heart and pursue her. And if he had just done a good job of that, then she wouldn't ever. And his job's to go and to win her back. And, and she's just free to just fly off the handle, fly off the rails until she's just loved enough. And that's just like, that's the kind of garbage that we're always dealing with. And so you have to rebuke that pastor. You have to rebuke that woman. That woman was excommunicated, I think we can say. At the same time, does the fella in the situation have responsibility? Is it possible that sin has tendrils and is sticky and sticks to all kinds of people in a situation like that? Of course he does. And that's, I mean, that's something that we've been (laughs) setting up in our our storyline podcast, right? Oh, yeah. It's hilarious in the Ville. Uh, with Matt and Erica Rosebloom, right? Our, our characters, listen, people listen, always Listen, before you wa- say anything, yeah. yeah, you listener are tempted to do this one way or another, and a good test for which side you're on is how you respond to Matt and Erica Rosebloom. Yeah, and people, it's hilarious. Nobody ever wants to say it's complicated, which if there's any moral to our podcast, I think the moral is probably something along the lines of it's, it's complicated. complicated. Some of our listeners may not have heard any of our story podcasts yet, but that's what we're talking about is two of our main characters, yeah. Matt and Erica Rosebloom and their really, really messed up marriage, which features in a number of the episodes. Right. And so people always want to say it's the husband's fault. He, if he was just willing to discipline his wife, if he was just strong or... They want to flip and be on the other side and say, Matt's actually a pretty good guy. He just married a horrible, nasty shrew of a woman, an emasculating woman. And so it's not really Matt's fault. Matt could have been a great guy. Matt could have been a great husband and father, but Erica won't let him. And it's like, they're both true. Maybe there's even some external factors that are outside of both of their... I mean, it's... Sin is complicated. Responsibility is complicated. I mean, there are there are heroes, there are villains, there are good guys, there are bad guys, there are people that are following the devil and people that are following the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. But ultimately, parsing these things, you just can't do it. Sim- you can do it sometimes simply. You can never do it simplistically. I'll tell you how you can do it simplistically. If the only way that you're doing it is on the internet, in paper, behind a mask, mm-hmm. then you can be as simplistic as you want to be. And in your simplisticness, I think that's right, in your simplisticness, mm-hmm. you will attract exactly the crowd that is bitter and that wants to see it as a one-sided thing. Yeah, well, And who about- doesn't want to face up to their own responsibilities. Mm-hmm. About that crowd, I people will hear us be pretty sarcastic. Some of our skits have been very sarcastic about Dowrock's followers in particular and the bitter, nasty, verbally abusive kind of people that they are. We all three of us come from broken homes, right guys? Yep. It's true. We are all three children of divorce. Yep. Jake, your mom left when you were how old? My you know. mom left when I was five or six years old. And Ben? Uh, my, my parents got divorced in... Uh, just as I was starting college. So. My my parents' relationship fell apart in slow motion, and I got to watch it all through my childhood. And then 
I think I was 17 or 18 when they finally divorced, but they'd been living apart and things had been terrible for a a long, long time. And, and, And I feel the pain. I feel the impotence of a system that wasn't in place, of a church in some respect that wasn't in place, mm-hmm. of a society that allowed this to happen. I understand that. It's one of the reasons we do what we do. It's one of the reasons that Sound of Sanity exists or Warhorn Media exists is because we care about something besides trying to reform ourselves because there were real ramifications and there are real ramifications. And feminism did put my mom in a nasty position and it didn't make it easy for my dad to do the wicked things that he did. And I understand that. I feel... It also encouraged my mom to believe a whole lot of lies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The yep. kinds of lies. And my mom too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so we feel that. And it's interesting. The Bible says that women are easily deceived. Did you know that? <laughs> uh, I that think I heard that once. And that they need to be protected by men from false teaching, and that's why women shouldn't be teachers. Hmm. It's almost like we should come back to that and make more of a point. I think of we should come back to that point later. Yeah. Well, and well, we're also going to come back to the point about our own pasts. But I yeah. just wanted to get that out of the way here. We we get it. Right? Even the most angry, nasty, horrible caricature of a Dalrock commenter who's just being gross. I've said those things in my heart. I get it. I've said those things in my heart. I've probably said them out loud. And so the temptation to be bitter is real and a real one that we've all felt. And not just that we have felt, but that we have worked with other people. And I'm the pastor in the room. Uh, I've got more experience with that sort of thing, but it's not like you guys don't either. Mm -hmm. You know? Nathan, you've got in your small group this very issue yeah, that yeah. you lead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, it's and just... people that you care for and are and are actively helping to fight their bitterness and to be there for their kids. Because the reality is, man, you can be bitter and then you're just going to recreate the problem for your kids, or you can man up. And to be fair to Dalrock, he often talks about not giving into the temptation to bitterness. From what I've seen, he's willing to bring that up and acknowledge it's a point. You know, his words say one thing. But his actions say and another. And his actions say another. And his followers <laughs> say, display another. Display yeah. something completely different. Guys, let's let's find out what, uh, you know, it occurred to me last time, probably the reason that episode didn't quite work is because we didn't bring in the number one manliness experts in Sanityville. Oh. How did we not think of it? I don't know what I we were know. thinking. The He-Manologians, of course, they're going to have good things to say about this. Dude, those guys are awesome. Yeah, those guys are awesome. So let's let's listen to the He-Manologians, and we'll be right back after this to, to get more into the meat of this issue. It's how we dress that defines us. My testosterone is so high! My face is made of cheese. There's your wife, and she's got a Hitler mustache, and there's nothing you can do about it. That would explain why everything around you is white. Oh, it's your birthday. I guess you're turning stupid. Hey, idiots. Welcome to He-Manologians, the manliest Christian manhood show where our T-levels are, like, totally bigger than, like, the biggest galaxy you could imagine. (laughs) Yeah, and BJ has big T-levels. After he drinks tea with his teddy bear. Shut up, CJ. Mr. Buckles doesn't drink tea. BJ has a teddy bear. Ah, Uh, Mr. Buckles is my best friend. He'll bite off your face. So, CJ, I understand your smoking hot wife is, like, totally getting a divorce from you. Yeah, dude. She was totally reading all this femservative framing literature, and so obviously she decided to ride the carousel with this total soy boy beta cuck. I hate it when that happens. Yeah, it's the worst. Whatever, because she totally had already hit the wall. 
By the wall, do you mean like the precipitous drop in sexual marketplace value or SMV that occurs in females after they turn 25? Uh, duh. It's so totally cool when we use manliness terms from the internet. Booyah! Yeah, like, manly men get all their terminology from the internet. Whatever, BJ. You thought the manosphere was a floating alien ball that's come to Earth to steal our women and also our mayonnaise for some reason. Shut up, CJ! <laughs> that's what anybody would think the first time they heard it. So, like, CJ, whose fault is it that your smoking hot wife left you? Uh, you mean my idiot, ugly ex-wife? Uh, yeah, like, whose fault is it that your idiot, ugly ex-wife became your idiot, ugly ex-wife? Well, um, it's easy to blame society and my ex-wife, but I think the blame really lies with society and my ex-wife. Yeah, like, what were you supposed to do? Tell her not to go get massages at that nudist colony? Yeah, like what? Like she's not a moral agent or something? Like she can't make her own decisions? But, CJ, isn't your wife under your authority? Uh, yeah. Except... She could totally divorce me anytime she wants to, so, like, no, not really. <laughs> Mrs. Buckles always obeys Mr. Buckles. Whatever, BJ. Your teddy bears don't really do things in real life. It's all make-believe. You're stupid. Shut up, CJ! Mr. Buckles says everyone has to obey him. Uh, actually, CJ, BJ is actually, like, totally right about this. When Ursa Major aligns with the North Star, then the Great Bear will arise and, like, rule us all. Inu Inu Raza Doom. Rise, Mr. Buckles. Rise. Uh, I was, like, totally unaware you guys were part of some weird bear cult. We, like, totally are. <laughs> yeah, totally. Inu Inu Raza Doom. Rise, Mr. Buckles. Rise. How did you guys become bear cultists? Well, like, remember when your idiot, ugly ex-wife was totally your smoking hot current wife? Oh, yeah. That was that was chill. But you guys were, like, having marriage problems and stuff, and we totally couldn't decide if it was, like, her fault or your fault. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not like it could be both. Yeah, it's not like it could be both. So that's when we realized, like, it was really hard thinking about masculinity and ladies and sexuality and marriage and stuff. Yeah, and it was way easier if a fake bear just told us what to do. But shouldn't you guys think for yourselves? No, CJ. Fake bear. Yeah, totally. Fake bear, CJ. Like, a lot of times the bear will tell you what you already think. Which is totally awesome because then you don't have to change or grow. We totally love Mr. Buckles. He's an American hero. Um, like what if Mr. Buckles isn't the bear's real name? Shut up, CJ. I don't need his real name. It's about the ideas. Yeah, it's not like we're his followers, CJ. We just listen to and believe everything he says. Uh, by the way, BJ, Mr. Buckles says you're a worthless piece of dog crap. Booyah! That's what he told me, too! And we're back. Thank you, He-Manologians. All right, guys. Let's reiterate what's wrong with Dow Rock. I hope everyone's been able to follow what we've been talking about so far, the reasons we engaged with him, what happened, why. I want to come back, though. Last week, we tried to really sort of get into the weeds with some specific quotes, and things got really dense, and I'm just afraid it was a little bit hard for people to follow. So let's talk more generally about what's wrong with Dow Rock, why people shouldn't read this guy. Once again, just in case anyone's not tracking, Dalrock is a popular Christian manosphere blogger. We are warning people to stay away from him. That's become the purpose of an episode, of two episodes that initially started as just a, 
overview of the manosphere. What's wrong with Dalrock? I think we we figured out three fallacies, right? Three Dalrock fallacies. So Dalrock fallacy number one, Jake, what is Dalrock fallacy number one? The first fallacy is that he reduces male authority and responsibility. The easiest way to demonstrate that is his lack of understanding about the fall. Now, he thinks he understands the fall because he thinks that he's saying something if he says that women are fallen and sinful. He thinks he's saying something that nobody else is saying. And the reason that he thinks that is because the Bible emphasizes male authority and responsibility in every place and at every turn. And there's something called federal responsibility or covenantal responsibility. Yeah, we that referred to this without to just being quite explaining it last mm-hmm. time. So yeah. yeah, and so here's the thing. God places Adam and Eve in the garden. God gives his commands to Adam. Eve listens to the voice of the serpent, is deceived. Adam listens to the voice of his wife mm-hmm. and rebels, right? All of that, God comes to and calls Adam to account for. And in Adam, we've all sinned. In Adam, we have all fallen. So God comes and he talks to and addresses Adam first. Why? Because Adam was responsible for everything that happened. Responsible. Did Eve sin? Yes. And yet Adam was responsible for Eve and responsible for himself. Scripture always addresses masculine authority and responsibility. Scripture says in 1 Timothy 2 that because Adam was made first and then Eve, and because a woman was deceived, the Apostle Paul does not permit a woman to teach. He tells this to a man, and it's in that man's job to tell women that they're not to teach and to forbid women to teach or have authority in the church. Why? Because women are easily deceived. And so you can't have people who are easily deceived teaching. Mm-hmm. Right. And so women are weak. They're easily deceived. And so the ant- the antidote to women being deceived in teaching bad things and believing bad things is for men to stand up and say no and to lead and to exercise authority, preaching and teaching. It's for fathers to have responsibility over what happens with their wives and their daughters. Right. Right. And, and the, the irony here is that that's like what Darrock's whole life mission is to it's it's like to or it's related to this anyway it's it's to tell all the christian men on the internet that hey no one will tell women no and we're like hey our one of our church's purposes is to teach men to tell women no and he's He's like like, stop it you're reducing you're reducing women's moral agency it's like dude like are you blind and then we answer our own question. We're like, yes, you're blind. Yes, you are blind. <laughs> well, that's the, that is the thing. That is how Scripture approaches it. And all throughout Scripture, if you look at Numbers 30, where it gives a father the ability to invalidate the vows that his wife or daughter took without his approval. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's responsible for them. He can say no. He has authority to say no. In First Corinthians, we were talking last week, there are churches out there to go to. Well, there are no good churches out there. Well, the church of Corinth was a church, right? Even though the Apostle Paul says a man has his father's wife. It struck me after the fact. Hey, that's interesting. A man has his father's wife. Hmm. Huh. It doesn't say a woman has her husband's son, even though the son is the son. And presumably younger than Younger, her. right? Mm-hmm. Presumably. Yeah. At least than the father. No, a man has his father's wife. Well, scripture always approaches sin first, just like God came first to Adam in the garden through the man. And it is a man's responsibility to step up and to correct and deal with it, which is why the answer to all of this is not railing on the internet, but teaching fathers to love and discipline their wives and their daughters. Right, which is not to say that scripture... And to therefore protect them from the lies of feminism. 
Which is not to say that scripture doesn't ever directly address women. Of course it does. It does all the time. All it the time. directs women. It, it, it addresses women. It addresses women's sin and rebellion. It calls women to repent and it lays out how women are to behave through the voice of a man. And so what's the model? The model is men teaching men and women how to behave and men teaching other men how to be good husbands and fathers and to lead and discipline and love and guide and protect their wives and their daughters. And that's how this problem gets solved, right? Even in the place like in Titus chapter two, where Paul's exhorting the older women to teach the younger women, he's actually telling Titus to tell the older women Mm -hmm. what they ought to be teaching to Mm -hmm. the younger women. That's right. And how they ought to be serving the other women by teaching these specific things. And so, yes, it's so profoundly ignorant of all of scripture and scripture's emphasis on fatherhood and the fatherhood of God that is reflected Mm -hmm. down into all of humanity to simply say that calling men to take responsibility for their wives and daughters and pastors to take responsibility for the families in their churches is somehow denying feminine responsibility. It's not what it's doing. What it's doing, yeah, what it's doing is our second fallacy, which is Dalrock underestimating feminine weakness and dependence. Mm On men, which is not <laughs> just not the same thing as underestimating feminine moral agency, which is what we're actually not doing. Yeah, let me read a scripture. This is this is Paul talking to Timothy, Second Timothy three. But understand that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power avoid such people for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions now why did the apostle paul in talking to timothy single out women as the ones that would be led astray by these wicked men because women are weak just like the apostle peter says Live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which isn't to say that women are weak in all ways, but that they are weak in very specific ways. Including a liability to deception. Which is just clear Bible. And so to say that if (laughs) if we understand feminine weakness and dependence... They were undercutting their moral agency. It's just... Again, it's to have a a very narrow... Rigid. Rigid, small-minded view of authority, responsibility, strength, weakness, masculinity, and femininity. Yeah, you know... Right? It's just so small-minded. And it's the only kind of small-minded that I really, truly believe can can only happen in a world of ideas where you're not actually living with and working with real people. Yeah, you watch like my, your, your parents go through a divorce. Now Dal Rock's gonna come back and say, oh, well, I've had real experience. I have a wife, I have a blah, blah, blah. But I mean, come on, you watch anyone go through a divorce, for example, you're going to see there's sins on both sides. You're gonna see it's not that easy always to parse. And there is no simplistic, I, 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 <laughs> I keep thinking of I keep thinking of the Garden of Eden and I keep thinking of Satan saying to Eve, has God really said you may not eat of any tree of the garden? And I just think the devil, the real devil, always exaggerates and distorts and makes more rigid and dichotomous than it actually is the position of God. The nature of deception can be seen by examining the deception of the devil. 
Am I am I comparing Dalrock to the devil? No, but I am saying deception, uh, duplicity of his sort does take a certain form, and it is very often exaggerating and making much more rigid and confining the roles and the things that God has put in place, right? And so Dalrock says, you know, has Warhorn Media, has Tim Bailey really said that women have no moral agency? And it's like, no, we nope. just said that men were the responsible and, and, and that fatherhood's a real thing and that it has ramifications and that maybe in order to reform a culture, you start by talking to the fathers and to the men. doesn't mean you don't talk to the women. It means your emphasis, though, is on the men because the men will, will lead. It's, it's, a, it's, a Reagan's, it's Reaganomics. It's trickle-down theology, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Which, which brings us to fallacy number three, actually, which mm-hmm. is that Darak doesn't understand God's fatherhood. And this we infer from what we have said so far. Well, yeah, and it, it is just essentially what, what, what follows. God's printed his fatherhood onto mankind. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's everywhere. To, to pretend, again, like this is just about women is, is not just to deny the root of the problem. It's to deny the way God made the world and the way God governs the world. The world it, that we live in is patriarchal by nature mm-hmm. because it is founded and rooted and grounded in the fatherhood of God. And that's a it's a good and benevolent patriarchy. But that's not something... It, it's just, again, it's like talking to a brick wall, like the man really does need to study the Bible and mm-hmm. study the authority that men have and responsibility that men have in Scripture and the way that corporate responsibility is connected to headship. So whether it's a king mm-hmm. being responsible for his people and a king's and God visiting a people for the sins of his king or visiting a king for the sins of his people right. and holding that king accountable or a priest or a father, it's just all over scripture. Achan sins and puts the stuff in his tent, his, his entire family dead. He's responsible and everybody under his headship suffers. What if one of his children had taken it and hidden it? Achan's going to be held accountable for that. But Jake, the Levitical law also says that a son shall not be held responsible for the sins of his father and a father shall not be held responsible for the sins of his son. Yeah. Well, I think I think actually in the in the Achan passage, what you see is that the entire nation of Israel is already held responsible for Achan's sin. Exactly. Now they aren't all put to death, but they are held responsible. They do fail in battle. They are they repulsed. lose thirty six men suffer. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, my only point yeah. in bringing up that that argument or that caveat was just to say it's not simple again, and we ain't gonna in this podcast solve every question you might have about corporate responsibility and federal headship. That's not our design. But that doesn't mean that there aren't good answers to those questions and ways to think them through. Yeah, and part of what these... But part of what you have to understand is that people who want to isolate original sin, the uh, salvific work of Christ, to just Adam and Jesus and pretend it's not of a fabric, the idea of corporate responsibility uh, and of federal headship is not of a fabric with the way everything else in the world works. Mm -hmm. They've not begun to understand the scriptures on sexuality or on headship or on covenant. Y'all got a lot of Bible to read. Yeah, better hope that there's corporate responsibility because that is the hope that that is why you're stuck with original sin in the first place. And that is the hope that comes through Christ. If you want to deny it in every particular we and want then to just be connected magically believe in it when church. it comes to Jesus, because yay, Jesus. And see, this is, again, this is so ridiculous to have to say. The church is the bride of Christ. And so... Christ as its head 
imputes his righteousness to the church. When God looks at the head, at the church, he sees the head, which is Jesus. It's just like... You know, maybe it's not ridiculous to say because, okay, sure. You had to learn it sometime. You had to learn it sometime. Maybe some of our listeners are learning it for the first time. I want to have sympathy for them and I want to... We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Right. Jesus came to save his bride, his people. If, if, if it's just if it's something that you've never thought about, that's fine. But start thinking about it now. Hey guys, those are Dalrock's fallacies. Why don't we go to another break and we'll come back and uh, clean this all up? I, I understand that old Chip and Lance are up to some kind of an adventure right now. They usually are. They usually are. Why don't we find out what's going on with them? Okay. Sounds good. All right. Say, Chip, I'm happy to help you with your stakeout and all, but you sure we couldn't pick a better place to lie in wait? Well, Lance, this here shrubbery is big enough for the both of us, and it's right across from Mr. Ruffles' home. As you well know, Lance, as dog catcher of this here town, I've been on the trail of that nefarious hound for many a month. Well, yeah, Chip, but all these dang thorns are stabbing me. Exactly, Lance. Mr. Ruffles would never think to look for us here. Only an idiot would hide in here. Yes, sir, Ruffles, I've traced the firebombing at the Cat Food Depot back to you. Not to mention that Salvia Lucanta that got dug up. Salvia do what, Chip? It's the name of a flower, Lance. Now, I ask you who would dig up a flower like that, if not a criminal mastermind? Yeah, yeah, right. Some stakeout, I guess. Speaking of stakeouts, Lance, isn't that what you and Laura did last night? Huh? You went out and had a steak. Actually, uh... Laura wasn't quite in the mood for steak last night, so... But it was your birthday, wasn't it, Lance? If my woman ever said she wouldn't go get a steak with me on my own birthday, why, I'd be tempted to take her straight out to the woodshed. Because there are some comfortable chairs out there where we could talk. Now, Chip, Laura's too sweet to say anything. She just made this sort of pouty face, and I thought, well, you know... I hope you told her to stop pouting, Lance. No, Chip, I'm not going to treat Laura like she needs someone to tell her what to do and think. Well, she can be responsible for her own actions and such, and you can still be a leader, Lance. Well, of course I can, Chip. Look, it's Mr. Ruffles. Is he going to come out of the yard? Get ready, Lance. I'll fire with the taser, and you throw the net over. Yeah, but what about Mr. Ruffles' owner, Chip? You know my motto, Lance. Oh, which motto, uh, Chip? You catch more flies with honey than a blowtorch? No, Lance, my other motto. Expect the best and prepare for a falcon to steal your baby. No, my other one, Lance. A watchpot gathers no moss. No. The children of ninjas should neither be seen nor heard. Nope. An elephant never somethings. No. Most banks are only interested in you for your money. No, Lance, my other motto. When in doubt, tase. You need fewer mottos, Chip. I'll remember those words, Lance, and apply them frequently to my life. Anyway, Lance, I'm all for Taze first ask question later, but we should use caution with this here owner. Well, Chip, this owner is responsible for Mr. Ruffles' behavior, isn't he? Now, Lance, that don't make no sense. Mr. Ruffles committed the crimes. Well, of course he did, Chip, but it's the owner's fault too, right? For not keeping Mr. Ruffles on a leash? Mr. Ruffles does what he wants. Well, he wouldn't be able to do what he wants if he was on a leash, Chip. That's just hypotheticals, Lance. But Chip, I'm talking about responsibility here. And I'm talking about dealing with the criminal canine mastermind, Lance. And all the criminal canines in town. Ain't they responsible for their crimes? Well, sure, Chip, but a lot of those canine criminals have owners. Do they really, Lance? Well, Mr. Ruffles sure does. If you know so much about the canine underworld, why don't you just take over as dog catcher, Lance? I'll give you my badge, my net, my throwing stars. Chip, I don't want no throwing stars. They're good throwing stars, Lance. Well, it ain't about throwing stars, Chip. Look, it's just kind of like what you were saying about my relationship with Laura. Hold on there, Lance. Let me get this straight. 
Are you comparing your relationship with Lara to a dog owner's relationship with his throwing stars? Yeah, I don't... Chip, ugh. I'm just saying a leader and a follower can both have responsibility at the same time in different ways. Mr. Ruffles can be guilty and his owner can be responsible too. They're both in the wrong. Sorry, Lance. I'm having trouble seeing it. Chip, in this particular instance, I think you might be... Just a little behind. You mean because I don't see how more than one party in any given situation can bear different kinds of responsibility? I'm dumb? Chip, of course I would never say that you're dumb. I'd just say that not being able to see those distinctions is really, 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 really stupid. Dumb, asinine, insane. What your sister so delicately calls the product of someone who has mental deficiencies, I would say. No, no offense, of course. None taken. Okay, now, Chip, about Ruffles... Don't you remember when we was kids and your old hound dog, Mr. Fluffers, bit old Lady Jenkins? And your pa took Fluffers out back and shot him in the head because Mr. Fluffers was still guilty. And although it made him sad, your pa was still responsible. Lance, so- Mr. Fluffers went to live on a puppy farm. But, well, Chip, we, you were a kid. We were kids. That was just something your pa told you. Because it was true, Lance. Now, Chip, I'm, I'm afraid the only puppy farm Mr. Fluffers went to is the big puppy farm up in the sky. Say, that sounds neat. Did he get there by helicopter? Oh, for Pete's sake, Chip, Mr. Fluffers kicked the bucket. Old Fluffers always did like to play with buckets. No, Chip, he's pushing up daisies. Digging up daisies, Lance, you mean? Digging up daisies. No, Chip, he bought the farm. How'd he save up enough money to do that? Chip, Mr. Fluffers is dead. Oh, well, sure, Lance. Dead tired of farm ownership, I'd wager. Dang it all, Chip. I mean, your pa took his gun and fired a bullet from said gun, and that bullet traveled through the air at deadly speed and went into Mr. Fluffers' head, thus killing him. Sorry, Lance. I fell asleep for the last seven seconds while you were talking, no doubt due to a form of narcolepsy that occurred this once and will never occur again. Now, what were you saying? Nothing. Nothing, Chip. We were just talking about how responsibility can be meted out between more than one individual, and uh, speaking of which, I've decided to have a little talk with Laura. Good for you, Lance. You want to borrow my taser? Taser? No, Chip. Last week you were just saying you were against corporal punishment in marriage. Well, of course, Lance, but you said you were going to take her to the electric chair, so I just thought, baby steps. (laughs) All right, Chip. Well, anyway, uh... I also mentioned about how your old dog, Mr. Fluffers, went to live on a farm. Yes, sir, I do remember that was a thing that happened. Right, well, can we just hurry up and bust Mr. Ruffles here? The thorns in this stupid shrubbery are killing me. Killing you? No, Lance, you can't die. You're too young to die. No! Okay, thank you for that, Chip and Lance. That was enlightening. Guys, what do we want to say? Just to reiterate one more time, last episode, we attempted to expose Dalrock's dishonesty. We tried to do it as straightforwardly and honestly as possible. And an interesting thing that happened is that Dalrock's commenters and Dalrock himself really seized on some things. I'd, I'd like to just take a minute to talk about this. They really seized on some things I said in last week's podcast during, I think part of it was in the Devil's Advocate. Okay, so to be charitable, part of it was in the Devil's Advocate segment. And if this was your first time hitting the podcast and you didn't understand how that worked, I can see how that might have been a little confusing. Who was representing what point of view and which yeah, ones well, we, we actually Yeah, we made it doubly confusing by switching roles. Yeah. We switched roles. Did, yeah. Which I think was my idea. I apologize for that. Here's the way that our show works. Our show is we come out of the gate and we lay something down Mm -hmm. and then we fight with ourselves about it and somebody plays the role of the devil's advocate and tries to put us in a corner. That devil's advocate's not always fair or honest in the characterizations but does try to 
deal with us the way that we're we think people might deal with us well and it's also a good segment to deal with any prejudices or biases we might have and i yeah. admitted to some last week i admitted that i smelled a rat with Dalrock that i thought this guy's doing something wrong i mean i didn't put it like this but what i was getting at last week was that ever since i first encountered Dalrock, i've felt instinctually bad about him like as if that he's doing something wrong i haven't already always been able to articulate it like i can now thanks to working through it but i always felt bad and i expected or suspected that when i engaged with him he might trip up he might say something bad which he in fact did i think I can admit to those things, and I think I should admit to those things. You know, me and Jake sometimes have conversations between the two of us when we're calibrating on Warhorn Media stuff, trying to decide what to do. I might say, for example, to Jake, I really don't, this is this is actually not a real example, but this is the kind of conversation. Well, Jake, I really don't think that you should take this interview on this other podcast. I'm not sure though, it might be that I'm jealous of the attention that you're getting. I'll actually throw that out. I'll put that on the table. And then yeah. we can argue about it and we can figure out maybe that that wasn't my motivation, maybe that it was. But I just think it's always 100% helpful for me to say, here's my prejudices, here's my biases, here's the bad things that might be influencing. Let's put those on the table. Let's be honest about them. So then we can talk. Like it doesn't yeah. do us any good for me to pretend like I'm an unprejudiced, objective guy who's just the floating is, in the in the world of ideas. Yeah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. First step to being able to have an honest conversation about anything is to acknowledge that, right? We don't come to anything unbiased or unprejudiced. So we like to lay it out. And you laid it out actually in your first email right. to Dowrock. You said in the same email, I want to represent your views fairly. These, these are the biases that I'm coming with to this discussion. And simple-minded people are going to take that and say, you said you did it in good faith, and then you said you were biased. Well, I want to be a little hard on them here. They seized on that, and they yeah. m roundly mocked it. And they just made me... That was one of the things, places where they painted me the most nastily. Like, well, he says... He, he said he wasn't didn't even have an open mind. No. That's so stupid. That's stupid. Yeah. That's just wrongheaded. That's not what I did. I admitted to where I'm coming from which is a good thing to do. And a helpful thing for our listeners to know coming into anything that we're saying. Hey, here's an idea. Maybe, just maybe, it would be easier to get something of value or nutrition from Dalrock if he told you where he was coming from and, and why how that might be affecting his point of view. No, hey, here's it's why just I'm, pure ideas. Here's why I might feel tense about these guys seeming to take away from female agents moral agency here's here's why i'm so hard on those ideas actually knowing those things about dalrock would go a long way towards making his position palatable and understandable here's why i balk when you mr warhorn media argue this here's why it's hard for me to even begin to wrap my head around it if he just admitted to some of those things i'm not saying it would solve the problems that we've been talking about with him but i think it would go a long way towards making his point of view understandable and sympathetic so that's one thing. We were honest about our biases in the podcast. And that's what the whole devil's advocate segment is about. Not just being honest about our biases, but honest about our argumentation, right? It's right. We're yep. trying to put ourselves in the corner and, and fight our way back out of it and prove to ourselves and to the listener that we have a point to make. But our goal with that is always, as we say over and over and over again, not always even to convince everybody that we're right, but to help people think biblically for themselves. 
Right. It, it would be completely disingenuous for us, for example, not to say he went after our senior pastor, a man who we, right. we love, a man so who's like we, a father to us. Dalrock attacked him. And so what do we do when we go, when we are preparing to defend our senior pastor? We say, this time, it, it's, this personal. time it's personal, right? <laughs> we're <laughs> tipping a, our hand. We're letting you know, yep. hey, this is a place where we're coming at this yeah, and it hey. is in fact personal for us, but we also think that we're right. Yeah, we, we actually have loyalty. So you should spit on us. Right. <laughs> because that's that's certainly biblical. It, I, I just, I found it so ironic when there was some anonymous, of course, anonymous commentator who came to the Warhorn Forum, Sanityville, to talk about this issue. And he said, uh, you guys did a bad job in your conversation about Darrock. I'm a regular reader of Darrock. Of course, I don't have any loyalty to him, but... I was like, yeah, of course. Dalrock followers, as as a general rule, I'm generalizing here, Dalrock followers will be very quick, we've found, to disclaim any sort of loyalty to Dalrock. As they show up all over the place to defend To defend Dalrock. (laughs) Just so you know, I'm an objective guy. And you suck because you went after Dalrock. (laughs) I signed up. I also have a pseudonym. (laughs) I signed up anonymously to be a member of your forum just so I could say this, not because of any personal... (laughs) <laughs> just come on like it's any personal animus it's like admit to your personal animus it's fine yeah then we can be honest you love like, dalrock dalrock is a father to you you feel like he helped you understand your marriage or something like that you feel like things he helped were you bad talk to your kids about a movie you watch right just uh just okay fine great that helps us you know admit it now we can have a conversation now about we can it. talk a lot of having arguments good arguments with people is just simply i mean Really, honestly, it's just self-disclosing. But the problem is, and the problem has been in this case, is that every aspect of self-disclosure has been trotted out as an example of disingenuous. Not just trotted out, but seized upon yeah. with extreme rancor and just used to smear Yeah, to well, smear you know us. what? Again, that, this is exactly the kind of deception that we were talking about. Why we said in, in last week's episode, if he would simply be honest in his characterization of Tim in that PCA report, we could have a conversation about the emphasis placed on male responsibility versus female responsibility in that report. And there's real and criticisms would... you can make of Tim. There's real criticisms you can make of Doug Wilson. There's definitely real criticisms you can make of Matt Chandler. Yeah, there. well, there's, there's truth to the fact, and we acknowledged all these points in the last episode, but there is all kinds of truth to the fact that evangelical complementarian pivot is to just blame men for everything. Oh, sure. And to, and to let women off the hook, right? Yeah, there's truth to that. Yeah, even as as you move, as you move from the feminist position that has been inculcated in you from your youth, there are steps along the way, and it is easy to jump once you discover the biblical doctrine of that is real of male responsibility to just lay right there because yeah. it's easy. And it's, it is a coward's move. Right. He's right about that. But the fact is, you can't talk with him about that because he's not going to allow you to admit, unless you just lay down and say, you're right about everything. I'm mm-hmm. wrong about everything. I always have been. Please teach me. He's not going to allow you to say anything about female moral agency in the context of masculine responsibility. Yeah. He's not going to let you do that. Which is just so immature. If you, if you insist on male responsibility as a principle, no matter how abused or misused, then he is not going to let you say female responsibility. He's going to undercut you and he's going to lie about you, which is what we demonstrated last week he does. Mm-hmm. He just lies. Yeah, and that kind of echo chamber way of dealing with things, I mean, it, it showed up immediately in his response to his first blog post on the podcast, which was, I didn't listen to it, but they are stridently against me, and that shows that they can't handle my arguments. Well, dude, 
Like, grow up. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Again, again, this is <laughs> so something that Dalrock... I can take your logic. You're stridently opposed to us. That shows that you can't handle our arguments. You see how easy that was, Dalrock? Like, come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to paint somebody that way, all you got to do is paint them that way. Just, you just, yeah, you just and if you've got paint. an army of, of people just ready to swallow everything you say... Disclaimer, are there two or three people in Dalrock's comment board that do call the others to be more reasonable? Yes. Sure. Do I feel completely fine making broad generalizations about the rest of the 9,000 people in his comments board? Yes. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I actually had to learn this lesson, and it was really hard for me. Jake remembers this. When I was first working around the church and working with people, I really thought that in order to be a man, I needed to box people into a complete corner with every argument and just destroy their argument and demolish it and show how they were stupid and show how, you know, the worst possible characterization of them and their argument was true. I just thought that's what it was to be a man. Guess what? That was just immaturity. It was just something I needed to, it was something very simple that I needed to grow out of it and praise the Lord. I think I did. And the way that I did was just simply by being around people and interacting with them and being tempered by them, you know, not being pseudonymous on the internet, but having friends and people that I had to have real arguments. And I realized, hey, you know, maybe if I accept a charitable view of this guy's argument, we might get somewhere. Maybe if I don't mischaracterize him, he'll like me better. Maybe if I give him an inch, I can take the mile. Maybe actually a good strategy for winning an argument is give and take. Is give and take. It's give and take. But to to engage in give and take, you have to be capable of living with tension. You have to be capable of living and dealing with nuances. And that's the problem with with Dowrock. He doesn't want any of that work. You see this sort of thing so much in young men. Mm-hmm. What what you what what you always see is that a young man disco- dis- discovers masculinity or right. whatever, right? And then what does he want? What does he want to do? Or even you know reform the whatever it is, right. right? What does he want to do? Well, he wants to pop off on Facebook about it in memes, or or he comes alive to the horror of abortion. Mm-hmm. He wants to go down to Planned Parenthood and yell at the doctors or at the women that are going in. If you, for example, plead with the women, please don't do this. Instead of saying you are sinning against the Lord, he might judge you. That's right. You know, oh, well, why would you If you say you don't have to do this. They're about to go kill their baby. How dare you appeal to anything but the most rigid God's vengeance. vengeance. Yeah. Yeah, but the reality is what he's doing is he's overcompensating for the fact that he's lived as a coward, so it's another coward's move. And it's not that you don't go down to Planned Parenthood or whatever and call people to repent and to not murder their babies. It's not what I'm saying. And it's not that you don't say engage with uh, arguments on social media firmly and directly. And it's not that you don't do all kinds of things, but you it's actually not that you don't bring God's wrath into a discussion of guilt and sin. No, you have to do all of those. There's a pl- time and place for all of those things. But if you're not willing and able to look somebody in the eyes and to have those conversations and to call them to repentance, uh, you're probably you're probably just reacting immaturely. And your real goal here is not to be helpful to anybody, but to absolve yourself of some guilt that you feel and to have a cathartic moment. Man, I've been hit with this lesson again and again and again lately. I I feel like a cartoon character that keeps getting hit by different buses or trains or something. It's because I have a fiance 
and I have to be in a relationship with a woman mm. and it's complicated and there's tensions and there's places where I have to like discipline her and then there's places where I have to be patient and then there's places where I have to say that she's right and I'm wrong and just like any kind of rigid systematic approach that I have any kind of moral of the story that I come up with that I think is going to make the relationship work it doesn't work it turns out there's a million little tensions that I have to live with as a part of loving this person and being an, you know, an, an aspirational, I guess, authority over this person. I have to live in relational tension, which is what, I don't mean that in a bad way, like I feel bad or unsure of myself all the time. I just mean- It's just much more difficult than having clear edicts that you issue from on high. Yeah, it's much easier to say, well, fiance, your job is to be the wife and to obey me. That's That's one way to solve all of our problems and feel really good about myself. Or another way is to say, I'm a loving servant leader. We're just gonna do everything her way. There again, problem solved, tension resolved. But actually, the answer is more complicated than that. Yeah, of course it is, mm -hmm. because people are complicated. Can we talk about Dalrock's pseudonymity? This was something that sure. we got into quite a bit last time. Well, you, you were just in it just now. I was. Because you, you, you were talking about how not being able to be pseudonymous and remain pseudonymous tempered your style of argument and tempered your understanding of how to engage complex issues. Yeah, it did. And how that was a, well, a blessing to you. Yeah, it was. It's a great blessing. I mean, thank God. I don't like myself when I think about myself from, from years ago when I was like that, when I was so rigid and so unkind to people and so angry about declaiming. You know, it, it wasn't good. It wasn't the fruit of the Spirit in me. It doesn't matter what I was, you know, the fruit of the, fruit of the Spirit is X, Y, and Z. And that wasn't present in me when I was doing that. And so we, I mean, we we think that if, Darok, if you had accountability, you'd probably be less rash and you would be more tempered and know the guys that you talk with on your own forum or the guys on other Manosphere sites who you trade points with, you know, and you appreciate each other's insights and stuff, that doesn't count. Yeah. No, it's people who are actually able to look you in the eyes and say, no, you're wrong about this. No. Well, there again, with pseudonymity, people tend to prefer the binary. So it's like either we're arguing that pseudonymity is always wrong or that it's always right. Eh, not so much, actually. There is good pseudonymity, I think, in history that you can point to, blah, blah, blah. We can have that argument. But the point is... As we did try to have. As we did try to have. But our point isn't so much, I don't think, that Dalrock is like sinning. He's absolutely 100% wrong because he's pseudonymous as that it's extremely unwise. Our judgment is that it is extremely unwise. And it's because he doesn't have the tempering of accountability and authority in his life. And, and even the fact that he's admitted that the only person capable of disciplining him because they know about it is his wife. Someone under his authority. Someone under his authority. Someone the Bible has said is not to be to teach or exercise authority over a man. Right. That's the only person <laughs> capable of teaching or exercising it's authority. His wife, it's his wife and his children. Right? Okay, and of course and our children wives and children exhort, discipline us yeah, all the yeah, time. Yeah. I mean, come on. No, okay. No, you said your wife disciplines you. Huh? You don't have. A yeah, this is what people do, right? <laughs> it's, it's just like it's, it's just really this dumb. endless loop. Guess what? Your stupidity. wife can, through being somebody that lives with you and being the awesome woman that she is, she's going to discipline you all the time. Is that her primary role in your life? Is that her? No, it's not. For one, and for two, the Bible tells her how to do it. The Bible gives her a prescription in how to discipline her husband. And if you want to read First Peter three, go ahead. And there's a good place to start. We don't have time for that sort of right. thing. To endlessly go over everything we say with nuances and caveats is just absurd. But the fact is, 
Come yeah. on, man. You want to be an authority, and that's what it is to have a public teaching ministry. And I don't care what you say about just being a blogger trafficking in ideas among peers. What Dalrock does is set himself up as an authority, a teaching authority, and how people look at him is as a teaching authority, and that's why they call him a father. Mm-hmm. They literally and call him. And there it is again, father. Father. Right? To set yourself up in that way while not having that teaching be under anybody else's authority without other authorities being able to look in and speak into what you say and how you say it and why you say it you're just a loose cannon out there a handful of people have said your fallacy is the fallacy of appeal to authority well you know Mm -hmm. what i have this thing in front of me called the bible right (laughs) and every pagan is going to call me on fallacy of appeal to authority by appealing to to scripture. And then they're going to turn around and appeal to the authority of their own reason or exactly. to the authority of their, their senses, senses and what they whatever. perceive. I mean, yeah, we all appeal bogus, to authority. That's exactly right. What you a just, bogus, bogus argument. It, everybody appeals to authority. You one just better appeal another. to the right one. That's and you right. should be honest about which one you're appealing to. If you want to bow to the God of the enlightenment reason, be a part of the destructive fruit that has happened since and because of that, including the entire feminist revolution that you're railing against, go ahead, appeal to reason. But we're going to appeal to scripture. And the way that we appeal to scripture is through the authority structures God has put in place to govern how people appeal to scripture and Mm -hmm. how people teach scripture. And so, you know what? I feel pretty safe because I am within the framework of biblical authority as laid out and defined in scripture. I am a man who is, who is under authority. What I say is under authority. I have an authority of my own that people out there on the internet ought to have some respect for. Mm-hmm. They should. Yep. And they don't. And it's We're all gross. egalite, liberte, mm-hmm. fraternity. Fraternity, fraternity here, you know, in this, in the wild west of the manosphere where we deny the fatherhood of God and the authority that he has written into all of creation and think that somehow by denying the fatherhood of God and denying how it is written over all of creation and written into the authority structures that God has placed in the world, we're somehow going to undermine the feminist rebellion. Oh, please, you just don't know the first thing. And this is why we said last week, just go to a church. There are no good churches. The Church of Corinth was still a church, for one. And for two, you listen to Dalrock, so shut up. Before we wrap things up, I just want to talk to the women. <laughs> women might be listening to this podcast, and some of them might be thinking, well, where exactly does this all this stuff that you've been talking about, about responsibility, authority, where does that leave me? Do I just have to sit around and, and wait for a man to take responsibility? Is that what the non-Dalrockian point of view is? That, that I just, you know, it's just like, well, I hope... I have a good husband that cultivates me and is responsible for me. Yeah, no, no. God's commands to you are clear and they're direct and they're not contingent on the men in your life. You're a woman. You're called to submit to the authorities that God's placed over you and to honor them and to respect them insofar as they honor and respect God, to adorn yourself with a gentle and quiet spirit and all kinds of other commands like that that really ultimately are not contingent upon the men in your life. They're God's commands to you and they're commands that you will answer for being obedient to or rebellious to. The final thing to say about all this is 
clear to me, at least, and probably I'm guessing to our listeners, that this issue is personal and, and, and painful for us, right? As we talk about it, not Dalrock and his responses, but the whole... Oh, I don't care about uh, Dalrock no, 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 and no, his responses. Yeah. But the issue of masculinity and fatherhood, teaching men how to be godly men who take responsibility from the, for themselves and others in their lives, and who love and protect their wives and their daughters, who refuse to be bitter... Yeah, that's personal. Mm-hmm. That's really personal. I The day after the episode dropped, I finished dropping my kids off from school, and I had just been reading some of the comments and commenters out there and just being overwhelmed by just the, the bitterness that is so evident in them. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, I got pretty emotional, and it wasn't because I care about Dalrock or what they're saying about me. It was because I was thinking about my dad and how he had every reason and opportunity to become a bitter nasty man when my mom left to become a dalrock commenter yeah to become that farther and farther away i get from it the more i'm amazed by the fact that he refused to do that because he decided he was going to be a man and take responsibility for us and protect us and so he fought and he won custody and he worked his tail off to provide for us and he found a good woman to marry and he refused to allow bitterness to define his life and that's what i want for any man who's gone through that sort of thing. You know, I have a dad who I trusted and looked to to hold my parents' marriage together. That dad's name is not my earthly father, actually. It's Pastor Tim Bailey. He was my parents' counselor through many, 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 I want to say 20 years. He counseled them. (laughs) The hilarious irony of all this, Dalrock accusing Bailey, as he calls him, of not holding women to account. Where Pastor Bailey happened to make a mistake in that counseling, I don't think he'd mind me saying this. There was a day where Pastor Bailey came up to me in the parking lot. This was after my parents were divorced. I think I was about 20. I was sitting in the church parking lot. Tim comes running out and he says, Nathan, I I hear that you're angry with me. He said, you're angry because I failed your parents. And I said, yeah. And he said, I'm sorry. I, I, I made a mistake. I misread the situation. I didn't get it. I'm sorry. Now, how did Tim misread the situation? He blamed my mom actually. <laughs> he put a lot of the blame on her. So anyway, all of that to say, not that Tim failed, but the Tim, Tim tried. He was there for me. And at a certain point, I had a choice to be bitter about the ways that he'd failed and the ways that the system had failed me and the ways that my earthly father and my earthly mother had failed me. It all sort of snowballed into me being angry at Tim. And I had to decide to let that go. I had to decide... I love this man. This man bled for me. This man pleaded with my parents. This man exhorted, rebuked with tears, with literal tears. He was there for me. He was a father to me. He is a father to me. And I may not be bitter. All right, guys. So to sum it all up and bring it all back around, here's Dalrock's narrative as I understand it, narrative, quote-unquote, as I understand it. We agreed to a fair exchange of ideas where it was us and Dalrock where we agreed to disseminate his ideas uh, across our platform for all of our listeners. And then we stabbed him in the back. 
Right. And went on a character assassination mission. The reality is a lot of our listeners have been introduced to the manosphere because they're interested in the topic of masculinity. We had Aaron Wren on the show who has a email newsletter called The Masculinist. Michael Foster, who once upon a time had a podcast with Warhorn Media called Practical Ecclesiology, has gotten into the manosphere with his it's good to be a man.com or whatever it's called. And so they're getting introduced to these ideas and terminologies, and we wanted to introduce people to them from a biblical perspective and give them the tools they need to deal with it. We wanted to allow somebody from the manosphere who's well-established to define the terms. We went to Dalrock and said, hey, Let's have an interview. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about yourself, what you do, why you do it, how long you've been doing it. Define red pill, define a couple other things. Address these basic concerns people might have about your work. And then we were going to lean on his answers for that in a podcast that was much, much bigger in intent and scope than Dalrock. As we directly told him in our initial email. Which we quoted at the top of the podcast. He's made it out to be as though we were supposed to just always do something that was about him and it was always going to be about him. It was never going to be about him. In his answers, he promoted lies about our senior pastor and put him on the internet and also said, and look, and it doesn't even, they don't even have answers for what I have to say. Well, so here's the million dollar question for you as a listener. And I'll, I'll leave this question in your hands. One of us hijacked the conversation and made it about himself. One of us is duplicitous. Both sides are saying that the other side is duplicitous. You have to choose who you trust and who you see the fruits of the Spirit in. I mean, Dalrock says that we're liars, and he says that our senior pastor is a liar. He says that our he also says that Doug Wilson's a liar. Father, and Doug's another spiritual father in a sense. I mean, he says that they're liars, and we've spent two podcasts now saying that Dalrock's a liar. So it's just to make things really clear: one of us is right, one of us is wrong. One of us is fundamentally untrustworthy. One of us is fundamentally untrustworthy. You need to look at the fruit and you need to decide for yourself. Yeah, the goal of this show is that you be a more discerning Christian when you walk away from an episode. So here we are at the end of the episode. Be discerning. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mr. Ruffles, surprised to find yourself in the pound. What's that, Ruffles? Oh, you'd like more water, would you? Probably like a milk bone, too, wouldn't you, boy? Good dogs don't have to be thirsty dogs, Ruffles. Maybe I'll get you some water if you tell me more about your network and about who's really giving the orders. Because I know it's not a half-breed like you, Ruffles. Oh, I'll regret it, will I? What are you going on about, you mangy mutt? A bear? Huh? Oh, you'll give me the information, Ruffles. Maybe not now. Maybe only after a couple weeks of drinking puddles and eating great value dog food. Because your kibbles and bits days are over, my fine furry friend. What's that? Your old chew toy? Oh, don't worry about that, Ruffles. We'll give it back to you. When your three life sentences are up... Of course we're holding on to it, Ruffles. Yes, sir. It's in storage. Right next to the... to the... gas main. Oh no! The gas main! It's a setup! No! Thank <laughs> you.
Chip, you're alive. Here, here. Hold still while I pull this off you. Lance, tell me, Lance. Tell me they found Mr. Ruffle's body. Sorry, Chip. I, I can't tell you that. Just take it easy now, Chip. It's going to be okay. You're going to make it. Medic! Medic! I need a medic over here! The body, Lance. Find, find the body and make sure it's a dead body. Chip, Chip, you don't think Mr. Ruffles could have survived with an explosion like this now, could you? Hiding out and playing dead are his two biggest tricks, Lance. Gotta find the body. Okay, okay. You just relax. We'll find the body, Chip. We'll find the body. Don't you worry about it. There's something bigger, Lance. Bigger than Ruffles. Bigger than the Badger Lord. Bigger than the Badger Lord, Chip? How could that be? Before the explosion, Lance, Ruffles started yapping nonsense about some kind of... Some kind of bear. A bear? What kind of bear? Chip, did he say what kind? Polar bear? Black bear? Grizzly bear? Brown bear? Did he give, it, did he give a name? Did he... Yeah. What? I got a name, Lance. And the name is... Mr. Buckles. Status Entity was associate produced by Benjamin Solzer, produced by Nathan Alberson, executive produced like all fine Warhorn products by Jacob Menzel and Nathan Alberson. Again, you can go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity to support this work. And until next time, stay sane.